Support for Chatham Up with DCA is brought to you in part by... This is former Create a Pro champion and CAP graduate Johnny Clash. And I'm here with George Feast, and we've got some questions for you. What's your favorite video game? How about your favorite console? Do you want to revisit the best and worst in video games? Then the Game Marks podcast is for you. Tell them, George. Each week, we do a deep dive into a different wrestling video game covering exclusive features, roster, gameplay, and more. And at the end of every episode, we offer up our rating of Play It Forever or Future Endeavor. Plus, gaming rumors and breaking news. How do your favorite games hold up? Think you've played the best and worst of them all? No chance in hell. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you choose to listen. And connect on social media and Twitch at GameMarksPod. The Game Marks Podcast. It's time to play the games. Hey everybody, this is Smart Mark Sterling, producer of the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. And have you ever asked yourself, what match should I watch? Or what beer should I have? Well, it's time to let the Off the Hop Rope Podcast help you decide. It should be the perfect beer for the perfect match. That's why each week we enjoy and review a specific craft beer and match it with a classic wrestling match from the past. Sit down with myself and fellow indie wrestlers, Top Shelf Troy Nelson, and the abominable, I mean Nick Stapp, as we break down the hops and the pops. Follow along at Off the Hop Rope on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, cheers, and sláinte. Cilantro. What's up, everyone? This is Danny Tancredi, Johnny Tancredi, and Papa Bear, and we are the Card Foundation Podcast. Are you looking for advice on what your wrestling card collection is worth, which rookie card to invest in, or what to look out for when submitting cards to be graded? And this is the show for you. Each week, we discuss the latest buzz within the wrestling card hobby. We also take a deep dive into a different wrestling card set from 1985's OPG to 2020 Tops Finest and everything in between. New episodes drop every Thursday and are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to great podcasts like this one. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter. We are at CardFoundPod and on Instagram at CardFoundationPod to keep the conversation going all week long. So when it comes to wrestling card podcasts, we are the best there is. The best there was. And the best there ever will be. From the suburbs of the thriving metropolis that is Des Moines, Iowa. Welcome to Chatham Up! Each week, DCA brings an infotaining look at the recent happenings, along with stories, conversations with guests, and more. And now, here he is, David C. Anderson! Thank you, Billy Peck, for that guest introduction. Hi, everyone. This is David. I'm the host. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for checking out Chat Em Up with DCA. I appreciate all of your support. Make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are found. Make sure you're following Chatham Up with DCA on social media across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chatham Up Podcast. That's at Chatham Up Podcast. One more time at Chatham Up Podcast. I hope everyone is having a great week. 
I am going to keep this intro short as I have a tremendous, tremendous conversation with the one and only Sal Licata lined up for you here this week. Sal and I talk about all kinds of things from baseball to pro wrestling to the Major Wrestling Figure podcast to Sal getting ready to become a brand new dad for the first time. Just a, a tremendous conversation and can't wait for you all to check it out. So I'm going to keep this opening pretty tight. And we're going to get right into our conversation with the one and only Sal Licata. My guest this week is doing his part to single-handedly reduce the nation's unemployment rate. He is a New York sports media guru. You can see him on SNY, hear him on WFAN, and the New York Post Knicks podcast, just to name a few. He's never afraid to speak his mind and give you his honest opinion, which is why I am absolutely pleased to welcome Sal Licata to chat him up. BCA, what is up, my man? Thanks for having me. How you doing, buddy? How are you, Kamish? Laying down the law on the podcast now. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> I tell you what, you were on a very short list of people that when I set out to do this podcast, you were right at the top of the list of people that I wanted to talk to. Obviously, with your background being in the New York sports medium, obviously your background being a huge wrestling fan from back in the day, the, the golden era of wrestling, mm -hmm. being a big collector, you hit all the targets and checked all my boxes. And I'm just I'm super excited to have you here today. I appreciate that. It's funny because if I thought about starting a podcast that would intertwine with wrestling and sports, you would be one of the guys that I would want to talk to. So I'm glad we're getting to do this on your podcast. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Well, we mentioned kind of where you're at now, but let's let's back up and let's go back in time and let's figure out what I like to do is figure out how we got to where we are now. Salicata, growing up in New York, presuming that you're a sports fan of the New York teams based there in the area. Mm-hmm. When you were a kid growing up and discovering sports, who were some of the teams and specifically like what era, what year of teams from either the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, who were some of the teams and players that you really gravitated towards and, and spoke to you as a kid? All right. Well, I love this question. Now, there are different levels of being a kid, right? So when I was very young, the first memories that I have of being a sports fan were of baseball and I believe going to Mets games because my aunt used to get tickets from her job now I grew up I was born in 79 so now I'm five six seven years old around 86 which is when the Mets won the World Series so I know now and for the better part of the last you know two three decades whatever New York City was a Yankees town. Well, that was not the case when I was growing up. When I first started becoming a fan, the Yankees stunk. It was about the Mets. They owned New York City. It hasn't been like that in a while, but that's what it was like then. So the Mets were the team that took my attention. I loved the 86 Mets. I loved Doc and Daryl and Gary Carter. And like I said, I have memories of going to games. As I got a little older, I always stuck with the Mets. It was always my favorite thing. You know, I started to welcome in new sports, whether it be basketball, and I was a Knicks fan, or Rangers. My neighbor was a Rangers fan, and then we used to play hockey and collected cards or whatever, and then I got a Rangers jersey, and I just adapted, even though I'm from Long Island, I became a Ranger fan. And then, take it a little further, in let's say junior high, you remember DCA, starter jackets, and like those were the things, starter jacket pullovers were the thing. And I loved Deion Sanders. He was the guy, prime time. Like Deion was one of the most popular athletes, played for both the Braves and the Falcons. 
and I actually became an Atlanta Falcons fan. So yes, everything about me is New York sports other than the Atlanta Falcons because I love Dion. Then I got the starter jacket pullover and that was it. That became my identity. So yeah, I mean, there are different levels to it and you evolve. My father was never a sports fan. So it wasn't like I had a lead from him to say, this is who I root for. This is who you should be rooting for. My mother comes from a long fam- a, a, a long list of family members who are Yankees fans. But for me, it was just growing up, going to, I guess, a Met game back in their heyday in 86. And that's kind of how it all started to, you know, the, the passionate sports fan, mostly New York, that I become. I tell you what, when you talk about those starter pullover jackets, man, you're yeah. you're hitting me in the feels because we we are right in the same age group. You talk about Deion Sanders, prime time, the the second dual sport athlete, certainly wasn't to the level of Bo Jackson in terms of his dominance on the football field or on the baseball diamond, but Primetime was, in my opinion, while Bo may have been the first dual sport athlete for football and baseball, Dion took it to another level just in the flash, the pizzazz. I know that's what hooked me on primetime. But when you mentioned Dion Sanders, you know, coming up with the Falcons and then playing with the Braves, what was it about Neon Dion or primetime that that's my guy? You know what's funny? It's the personality. I love personality. Although now, 41-year-old Sal, I would hate that type of player and that type of flamboyant athlete. But 14-year-old Sal, 50, I was drawn to it. The chains, the attitude, the flashiness, the dances. I loved them. So, I mean, that was just... And I, I think I also wanted to be different. Like, we talk about the starter jackets. That is no joke. Back then, that was a huge deal for sports fans to a point where I can probably recall many of my fellow classmate students in junior high school or high school, I can remember certain kids who had which jackets. And that, for me, nobody had a Falcons one, even though Dion was popular, maybe a Dion jersey. But that became my identity. And I'll tell you, through the years, it always kind of separated me a little bit because everybody in New York is either a Yankees or a Mets fan or a Jets or a Giants fan. But as a Falcons fan, you're a Falcon fan. When I first started in radio, they were like, Falcons, where the hell did that come from? And that was it. I used to love Dion's outgoing, flashy attitude. It was something I was drawn to as a kid. Definitely. So you talk about these different teams and athletes that that really hooked you and, and you gravitated towards and really those along with the influence of your family members who were sports fans, you decide, all right, I love sports. I want to pursue this. I want to make a career out of this. At what point in your life did you decide at, at somehow or some way I want to get into sports broadcasting? So my dream as a little leaguer was always to play in the major leagues, right? And then I realized quickly thereafter, hey, you know what? Uh, I probably am not going to have the talent for this. And I remember in about, I would say it was 1995. So I'm two years um, before I graduated. I graduated high school in 97. Around 1995, maybe end of 94, early 95, I discovered WFAN Sports Talk Radio. A friend of mine, we used to talk about sports all the time, put me onto it. I was always a big sports fan before that. And I think WFAN Radio started in about 87, and then it really became popular in 89 and so on. And then the Knicks and Rangers went on a great run in 94. That helped him out. But for me, I never caught on to it until my friend from school put me onto it, and I fell in love with it. I couldn't believe it. Mike and the Mad Dog in particular – 
that was the show. And I would then, every day I got home from school, listen to them nonstop. I would go in my room, put on the radio and listen to them. I used to call in to the radio show. So I was never, you know, outside of just a little league or dreaming about playing in the major leagues one day, I never had any specific desire until I discovered sports talk radio. I always thought, oh, maybe I'd be the next Marv Albert or this or that. But once I heard sports talk radio and I got to call and get my voice out and have my voice heard, that was all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to become a part of that WFAN family more than anything in the world. Now we'll get to it, I'm sure, but it took a while to get there, but I would say around 1995. So I was probably what 15, 16 years old, something like that is when I first discovered sports talk radio and I fell in love with it. Discover sports talk radio. You're hooked. You're a super fan. You feel like, all right, this is what I want to do with my life. So after you graduate high school, how did you put that plan into place to put you on the path to end up living that dream? Yeah, well, I mean, I went to work at Home Depot full time. Adds up, doesn't it? But that's the truth. I I was working, I think, at King Cone, which is a supermarket local uh, or locally in New York. And, you know, then going to school. And then once you graduate high school, my parents said, like everybody else, you got to go to college. Although I really wasn't thrilled about going to college. I went to college, Suffolk Community College here for broadcasting didn't go very well. I didn't like the teacher. I just wasn't into, I didn't really care. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to listen to sports, go to games, talk about the, I remember the morning of my, this is a true story. The morning of my SAT test, this is before college. I went to the SAT test in full Mets gear, wearing my Ray Ordonez Jersey and a turtleneck Mets shirt because it was, I'm pretty sure it was opening day if I'm not mistaken, or it was a makeup game for what opening day was supposed to be in 1997. I think opening day originally got rained out. And I was leaving from that SAT test to go to the game. So it shows you where my head was at. Not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that was the case. I didn't care about the stupid SATs. By the way, I aced it. I got a 9-10 on that thing. So um, I did the SATs, went to the game. That was my focus. Out of high school, my, I only went to college because I was told that's what I had to do. It wasn't until years later after dropping out of college and going to Home Depot full time. My dad said, if you're not going to college, you've got to get a full time job. So I started working at Home Depot and that became my life. And I still listened to sports talk radio. I went to as many games as I possibly could. And somewhere along the way, I realized that is this is not going to work for me and I need to somehow get into radio and there used to be a, a broadcasting school that was advertised on WFAN radio. And because of that, I eventually went there and I'd say 2002. So now I graduated high school in 97. Wasn't, I went to college on and off for the mix of those five, six years, whatever it is. And then ultimately, I finally went to the broadcasting school. And, that, and at that broadcasting school, I met one of the um, one of the teachers that worked at WFAN, Bob Husler, he was an update guy. So I knew his name from the radio. I was excited that he was there, which was part of the allure to me to go there and meet him. I met him. I became friendly with him from being a student. He knew I was a passionate fan. I was a big Falcons fan. As I told you, I remember coming back to class one day from actually, there's a true story too. And it shows you the passion that goes into it. This is not something that you just make up. This is all natural. 
I was wearing a Michael Vick jersey to school that day because they had come back from flying in from the Atlanta Falcons Sunday night football game, my first ever time in the Georgia Dome. I flew down by myself to watch the Falcons play the Bengals Sunday night, 2002. Came back the next day, went to the broadcasting school, met Bob Husler. He's like, Falcons, where'd you get that? I told him the story. We connected. He realized I had a passion for New York sports. At the end of my tenure at that school, which was a couple of months or whatever, he got me an internship at WFAN Radio. The rest is history. Not that that's a guarantee for everybody, but for me, that was my in. And then I made it work from there and basically worked my up every way, uh, ever since. That's amazing. And <laughs> it is what you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it, it really is. You. I mean, you didn't take the traditional path. I mean, you you eventually found your way there, but you didn't take the traditional path as kind of what you mentioned. Hey, here's the plan. You go to high school, you graduate high school, then you go to college. Go to college. I wanted to go to Syracuse. Syracuse was a huge broadcasting school. I grew up idolizing Marv Albert, so I wanted to go. It just didn't work out. It, I don't know if it was necessarily – well, no, it wasn't finances. I, I didn't have good grades. So, like, I just – and I didn't care enough about it at the time to get good grades to go there. This was not something I ever really thought out. I'm not saying I'd recommend that. And today is completely different, the business anyway, which we could get into how you would start getting into the business and all that. Back then – it, I, there was no strict format. And I'll tell you, after I went to broadcasting school and got the internship, so now I'm at the fan interning with other people who went to college and graduated, whether it's from Boston College or Syracuse. And along the way, I blew past those people. So it shows you it's not about necessarily the college degree you gotta want it and you gotta be passionate about it and have that desire and be willing to make sacrifices so yeah i mean you could ask me any question about how and what happened and all that but ultimately you're right there was a traditional what everybody thinks you should do go to school four years graduate and then come out of it i was fortunate don't get me wrong i know that but i i also didn't go that traditional way i love it something that kind of piqued my interest as as i was listening to you response you go from mega sports fan, mega sports talk radio fan. You're going to the broadcasting school. You're one of your teachers has an in at WFAN, get you an internship. Now you're working at the flagship station that you essentially grew up listening oh. to. Talk to me about the transition of going from Sal Licata being the guy sitting in his bedroom, calling into the radio show. Now you're working with and for these people that you spent years as a fan of listening to, you know, I, I don't want to say idolizing, but, but really wanting to base the, the existence yeah. of your adult life on, I mean, talk to me about that transition. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it, DCA. It is when I got the call. Now I'm familiar with all their names, right? Even behind the scenes guys' names, because I, I listened to the station. So there's a guy there, Eddie Scazzeri, who they used to refer to on the air as the Eddie Scazzeri. He called my house to and my mom's like Sal there's an Eddie Scazzeri on the phone and I was like what talk to him hey we'd like you to come in to interview for an internship blah 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 I'm like okay yeah sure and it was the the day that I was scheduled to go in for the internship was the day after the Bucks Raiders Super Bowl January of 2003 so 2002 season January I just remember that sports wise connecting it that was my first day interviewing or was either my first day interviewing or first day starting there but anyway that was the day that I was there but when I got that phone call after I hung up, I remember dropping to my knees thinking, oh my God, like this is it. Because the hardest part, DCA, is getting in. 
that's the hardest part. You could go to school for four years. You could be smart. You could do this and that. Getting in to that place, WFA in New York, the premier sports talk station in the world, and especially for somebody like me, that is more than a dream come true. So I knew once I got the call to go there. And, and by the way, I should say that I was working. I interned somewhere else before. You ever you familiar with that show Crossing Over with John Edwards? Absolutely. The psychic guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was when he was popular, I got an internship out of broadcasting school with that show. That show happened to be in the same building, Kaufman Astoria Studios, as WFA. And it was just on a different floor. And they knew that I loved fans so much that they would say, oh, like if they get mail that was misplaced, they would say, hey, you could go bring this downstairs. And I would go downstairs and bring it, knock on the fan door and be like, oh, my God, this is WFA and radio. Then after that, I got the internship from the fan. And I remember dropping to my knees thinking, this is all I've ever wanted. This is going to change my life. Now, it wasn't given to me on a silver platter. Obviously, the hard work had just literally just begun. But that was the day that everything changed. So I get that internship and then I worked hard to be a good intern and listen and sit there and shut my mouth and not talk out of turn and do everything that I was told and try to absorb everything I could. But I'll tell you, even just sitting there as an intern in the corner, my main job was to answer the phone. This is what they say as an intern. The best interns are seen, not heard, right? And they would tell you going in like, don't talk to Imus. You're not going to talk sports with Mike and the Mad Dog in the newsroom. Your job is to do what we tell you to do. But the first thing is to sit there and answer the phone. So you know what I did? I became the best intern. And this is no joke. You could ask the people there at answering the phone. The second that that thing rang, I picked it up. Fan newsroom, this is Sal. Okay. And that, that is what I excelled at to a point where it got everybody's attention. And I became one of the better interns of my class. And other things go into it. But then out of the internship, they hire you part-time, you start cutting some tape, you run the board, you produce, and eventually work your way up. And I did to become a host. But even just sitting there as a quiet intern watching my idols, as you say, Mike Francesa, Chris Mad Dog Russo, guys who I would call, guys who I'd listen to for hours, Steve Summers, Joe Beningo, all these guys, I was there in the newsroom watching them walk in and out of the studio during the show. And now I was going to say it, beat the, it beats the hell out of working at Home Depot. But at the same time, I was working at Home Depot still because I was just interning. And even when I was a part-timer at the fan, I still had to work at Home Depot to make you know some real money. So it was a balance. And eventually I got hired full-time years later. But yeah, just to be there in that building, to be a part of that family, that's all I ever dreamt of. I didn't care about money, hours, none of that. I wanted to be there. And honestly, I felt like I belonged. I was there with other people who love sports, even behind the scenes people, just the same way that I did. That was something that was really never matched in my life prior. I knew, I was like, wow, these people are on that next level. This is where I belong. It was always home for me. Talk about all the work, the hustling, the sacrificing that it takes just to get there. You just explained yeah. everything that you had to go through just to get there. Now you're there. Now you're hired full-time, Right. you're in the show. Talk about how hard it is to stay in the show. See, this is what people don't get, right? They'll hear me on the radio or they see me on TV and they think, well, I could do that or I want to do that. What they don't realize is all the hard work and sacrifices it takes to get there, if you're lucky enough. So 
I get there and then I'm there. Okay, now what do I do? Well, you got to try to be the best at whatever it is that you're doing and just do it well. The main thing, however, is because anybody can cut tape once you get taught to do it or anybody could produce or learn how to do it. The main thing, wanting it more than anything else in your life. And by that, I mean, there were kids that were there that I would work with that prioritized maybe finances or prioritized having a social life and going out. Well, I didn't have any of that. I had no money. I didn't care about, I mean, obviously you want a girlfriend, you want to go out and be social, whatever, but my only care in life was watching the Mets and Yankees and being a part of WFA. And so when they asked me to work overnight shows or when they asked me to work four to midnight or when they asked me to work four to midnight Friday and Saturday nights or to do Christmas Eve or Easter or you name the holiday, I did it. New Year's Eve, whatever. They said, hey, Sal, we need you to come in. Somebody was out last minute. I would leave whatever it is I was doing at Home Depot, whatever. I didn't care. And I got myself there. And I did a good job when I was there. I made sacrifice. I didn't, I wasn't concerned about the pay and the pay wasn't great. I mean, the pay was not good at all. I don't even know when I first got hired full-time there, the salary I was making full-time at WFAN in New York as a producer behind the scenes was like $25,000 a year. And that might've been, I might've been overshooting that. I'm at a college, obviously, you know, I didn't even go to college. So we're not talking about like a, a, this is a full-time job at WFAN in New York making 25,000 a year. I lived at home till I was in my mid to late thirties. So that's a sacrifice when people say, Oh, Sal, you're so, you know, they tell my parents, Oh, he lives at home still or friends or people would make fun of you saying you're still living at home. Yeah. Well I'm living at home cause I'm not making any money, but I'm working my dream job at this place. So money hours, the people, you know, people think that all of a sudden it's going to be a high glory job. Like you're getting paid. Well, you're going to have great hours. You're going to be famous. None of that was there. And I didn't care. I, I, grind it away and still kind of grinding away. But that, I think that's the sacrifice that a lot of people aren't willing to make. They're going to work weekends. Maybe the kid from Syracuse or Boston college didn't, you know, me working at home Depot is an advantage. I knew what it was like to have a, a, a rough job that had hard hours. I, so, so to me working four to midnight at the fan, that's a cakewalk. I used to have to get up at five in the morning to go ring up people all day at the home Depot, you know, register. Now you're asking me to go spend time at the, I worked there for free. I mean, to this day, I don't want to tell them that I would work there for free. That was my attitude whenever, wherever, how much I don't care. And I think that that kind of separated me from other people that were potentially moving up the ranks. I, I just wanted it more and I cared about it more you have to do a good job too. But I think that that's ultimately what separated me is just that I wanted it more than anything more in my life, girls, social life, apartment, anything. The one thing that I constantly am taking away from our conversation so far is passion. If I had, if somebody asked me, Hey, how would you describe Salicata? The, the first word that comes to mind is passion. It exudes from you. I can hear it in your tone and your inflection as we talk. I can see it on the, the video here. Obviously, the listeners can't see it, but I mean, you're getting fired up just talking about this dream job that, that you've worked so hard to, to get and to keep. When we talk about being in the New York sports media, tell me a little bit about what are some of the perks, some of the things that you enjoy about being part of the New York sports media. And then on the other side of the coin, tell me about some of the things that maybe aren't as desirable as others. I think the things that aren't desirable is probably what I mentioned, right? The hours. Now, again, we're talking, I'm talking to you about early in my career. 
This was 2003 and beyond. And now we're in 2021. And I've left the station a couple of times since. Um, and now I've gone back and, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to be there for the rest of my life. But we're in 2021 and I'm still trying to get to where I want to be, which is a full time on air host. I have a good opportunity coming up. I'm going to be doing more regular shows consistently. So we hope that that's getting closer. But think about that. Starting in 2003, it's 2021, and I'm still going strong trying to get to where I want to be. So the hard part or the the negative parts would be money, hours, um, just difficulty in having those jobs. There are only so many of them. I mean, that's a very, very difficult job to get. You have to be lucky. You have to be good. You have to be dedicated and sacrifice and all that. So it's very challenging. Uh, but obviously could be rewarding as well. The perks, oh man. I mean, aside from just being able to work at a place that I always dreamt of working at because I loved it, there are perks that come along with it. Eventually you become friendly with these people and guys that I started listening to, I, I became coworkers with. And then we would go, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog, for example, going to, Mike used to have a, a private plane occasionally. He'd take me on a private plane to the Super Bowl. So not only am I working with these guys, I'm going on a private plane with Mike and the Mad Dog to the freaking Super Bowl. How cool is that? Or down to spring training or just going to regular games, sitting at the game with Mike and the Mad Dog, going to games with Steve Summers, driving or going out to dinner with these guys, becoming friends. And building a camaraderie with people that I loved listening to because you know what? They were what I wanted to be. They had the same passion and, and same love for sports. I think those are the perks. And just building the relationships through the years, not even with some of the names that, you know, behind the scenes guys and the memories that we've had and, and laughs. I was just texting with somebody today about the old days, even though we we're making no money and working bad hours, man, I loved those days watching games with people working to, you know, your job is to watch a game and, and talk sports in the newsroom. Those are that to me is the best part of it. The camaraderie that you build with, with people and, and just have fun, you know, talking about sports and watching sports as you're actually working. It's, it's really not work. You're just talking sports, having some fun. One thing that I did want to ask you about that just came to mind is sports have not been immune to the pandemic. When COVID-19 showed up and, and hit the shores across America, everything changed. All of the major sports were impacted. So from your perspective, as someone who works in the sports media, how were you impacted by the pandemic and, and all the effects that, that come with COVID? It was brutal. Um not only we look working from home has its advantages, but it's also all those things I was just telling you about the positives, right? Being with the people that you work with and having that camaraderie. Well, that's erased and you don't have that anymore. Then you don't have sports because that's taken away. How do you do a sports talk show without talking about sports? Not to mention personally, because of the baseball season being cut from 162 games to 60, I lost a lot of jobs. I mean, I, I was, you mentioned I, I'm working at a few different places. Well, a lot of the shows that I was working on at SNY in particular, which is TV station in New York, the home of the Mets, I lost a good six months of work. And some of those shows are never coming back. So I lost a significant, maybe half of my income. So that hurts person. I know I'm not alone. Nobody's going to cry for me. A lot of people did. So that's just an unfortunate part of it. The other thing, maybe the more challenging thing was having to do radio shows twice a week on a national level. There were both national shows, but also simulcast locally in New York without sports. 
I'm not equipped for that. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't, that's not my thing. I, I got into sports because I don't want to deal with that stuff. Sports is the distraction that I want. I don't want to deal with real life issues. I want to deal in the, in the candy store. I want to have some fun. And they became, still are to a certain degree intertwined, but I, I've had a mentality now that I'm just not doing politics because no matter what you say, you're going to upset somebody, right? And I don't want to do that. I want to talk about sports and have fun, but that was the most challenging thing. So it all hit at once. You're losing shows, you're losing money, you're losing income, and you got to do sports talk shows and make them entertaining and good when there are no sports to be found. And we didn't know when it was going to come back, what it was going to look like, if and when it did. That to me was something that's, that was very, very challenging. And I'll never forget having to go through those shows and doing them. And I just did it twice a week. I know some people are doing it five times a week. I, I was doing it by myself on the overnights, which is a whole nother difficult challenge. But yeah, trying to do a sports talk show for a sports talk guy that has no care about really anything else during the midst of a pandemic with no sports, that was a, a very difficult challenge. Last thing I want to ask you about in terms of broadcasting in general. Obviously, you're 20 plus years in. You're, you're a veteran. You know your way in and out of this business. If you were going to give a piece of advice to someone who was looking to get into the broadcasting field, give me a, a couple points of some good tips as to what they can expect if they really want to pursue broadcasting. Well, it's not easy to get into. The number one advice I would always say to anybody is be yourself and understand that that's the most important thing in any walk of life, but be yourself. You have to be dedicated, be willing to make sacrifice. Okay, so those are the standards. Now, as far as being technical to get into this business now, it's completely different than it was for me, you know, 17 years ago, 18, whatever it's been, than it is now, because now everybody's got a, a podcast, right? You could start your own podcast just like you did, DC. I'm thinking about doing that in addition. Everybody's got one. Or you could create a YouTube channel. So back then, <clears throat> it was more about, okay, well, you got to go to school or a broadcasting school or somewhere to get the experience. Maybe you go out of market, wherever market you're in, you go to a lower level more, you know, New York City is obviously the number one market. So maybe you go somewhere else to try to cut your teeth and become a better broadcaster and then work your way back. That was always the format kind of back then. Now it's different. I just think that a lot of people who want to get into it can just do it. Promote yourself on social media, create a podcast, create a YouTube, YouTube channel. The problem is, and this is something that I don't have the answer to, the problem is cutting through. So now it's not about getting broadcast experience because you could do that on your own. So how do you then cut through? And that's a difficult thing. I, I don't, I wish I had the answer, but I don't, I don't know how to do that. I would love to know myself so I could go do it. I'd love to create a podcast and have it become a, a major hit, but anything that you think of is probably already been done and, and is being done. So it's, it's very challenging to cut through. It was always a challenging business, but maybe for different reasons. So I would recommend for anybody that wants to be on the air, be on the air. If you want to talk about sports, go talk about sports somewhere, whether it's creating a podcast or a YouTube channel or actually going to try to work at a radio station and work your way up. But go do it. Now there's no excuse not to because it's so easy. If you want to talk about something else, politics, whatever, then go do that. Create your own podcast or create your own YouTube, YouTube channel and do it and promote it on social media. It's your friends and Facebook and all that uh, stuff that I despise, but is uh, a necessary, uh, it's a necessary evil, unfortunately, in today's world. That would be the recommendation. Just do it and dedicate yourself to it until you make it. There was never a second option for you. It was never, well, what if this doesn't work out? It was just, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it until 
they tell me I can't do it anymore. And luckily I'm, luckily I'm still going cross your fingers, DCA fingers and toes, my friend. Yeah. Right. I need it. Let's talk MLB 2021 specifically. Let's focus on the Mets opening series with the nationals was unfortunately postponed due to some positive COVID tests within the Nats organization. As we're sitting down here to record, the Mets are getting ready to have their official opening day. Tell me, Salakata, what are your thoughts on the 2021 Mets? Where do you think they're at? And ultimately, where do you think they're going to end up finishing in the NL East? I'm excited about it. First of all, I'm excited to get the games going. It's ridiculous. you got to watch everybody else play around Major League Baseball, but your team, you have to wait uh, an extra few days. So I'm excited to get the games going. That's number one. Number two, I'm extremely excited for the new ownership because no matter what, and, and I know already the Mets have made some moves and you know I've said that I didn't love the offseason, which I didn't. I thought that they could have made even more moves. I don't think the team is ready to legitimately contend for a world series yet. I think that they're good. I think that they should be a playoff team. I still think they have some issues, but with the new owner there, there are no questions anymore about if this team is going to go out and do whatever it takes to go put a team together to win a world series, prioritize winning. That is something that hasn't happened in a long time with the prior ownership. It did happen years ago, but then there were some issues, you know, Bernie Madoff and, and that stuff got in the way. And unfortunately, the organization was never the same. So now with Steve Cohen taking over, they are back getting the big time players in Francisco Lindor. Obviously, no more prominent player or no acquisition that the Mets have made bigger than that one. So I'm excited about it. I think they're good. I think they should be at the very least a, a playoff contender. Could they win the division? Sure. Once you get in with their pitching with DeGrom and Stroman, I think Stroman's going to have a big year as well as the number two. They added Carrasco. He's got to get back healthy. Syndergaard can come back. Pitching to me still rules. And in a, we saw it in 2015, DCA. And you saw it up close and personal with those Mets. It was the young stud lineup with those Cubs versus the Mets young pitching. And the Mets went through them like a buzzsaw, sweeping them. Of course, the Mets didn't win the World Series. The Cubs did. Uh, was it the following year that the Cubs did win the World Series? 17 or 18? I get the mix up now. Uh, oh, right. I'm sorry. That was the 15 series season that the Mets beat the Cubs in the postseason. 16, the Cubs went and won the World Series. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm excited about this season because I do think the team should be a contender. I just think I don't think that they're good enough to win the World Series just yet. You mentioned the new ownership. So you've got a new owner, Steve Cohen. What are your thoughts so far and how do you think he's going to fare? And where do you where do you see his direction for the team? I think they're going to be great. I think everything's going to change. And it takes a while, right? And that's why I was disappointed with the offseason because where the Mets were, they needed to do a lot. And it was asking a lot. And they need to do a lot in one offseason to get to where I wanted them to be as a legitimate World Series contender. Doesn't mean they can't win it, just that I didn't think they were there. But I have no doubts that moving forward, everything's going to become easier because – even, for example, this year, right? So they get Lindor, they sign him to the huge contract. Now it's about Michael Conforto, who's in his walk year. Well, they probably wouldn't be in this spot moving forward because Cohen and Alderson are going to lock these guys up, similar to what you saw with San Diego, with Tatis Jr., or what the Braves did with Acuna. The Mets are behind the eight ball now because of years past. Moving forward, those things are going to become easier. They're even talking about, and I just read the other day, it was news to me, they're talking about extending Jacob deGrom, who they just signed to a deal recently, but he has an opt-out after 2022. That's what I mean. They're, they're forward-thinking. They're trying to get ahead of it as opposed to behind it, and that makes everything else easier. So I have no doubt that this team will be a main 
contender the way that the Yankees are. I mean, the Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009, but they're contending every year. Every year they have a team that can go out there and win a championship. That's all you can ask for. Not every fan base has that, unfortunately, but I do think now the Met fan base does have that with Steve Cohen, that every year from here on out, they should be a legitimate World Series contender. You talked about the offseason. I specifically, I want to talk to you about the deal that the Mets signed with Francisco Lindor. 10 years, $341 million, third largest deal in total value in MLB history, only behind Trout and Mookie Betts. Here's where I need the Sal Licata analysis on this deal. <laughs> Lindor, career 285 hitter, averages about 29 homers and 86 RBIs per season. Sal, $34.1 million on average per year for these numbers? Yeah, it's, it's not some... In, in principle, DCA, I would not suggest ever giving a 10-year contract. It just doesn't work out. Now, there, there's no way. And you, you mentioned, look, he's 27 years old, right? So by the end of the deal, and the, the 10-year deal starts after this season. So it was an extension after this season. So he's going to be 38 in the final year of that deal. For a player who a large part of his game is his athleticism, and he's a great defensive shortstop, well, that's going to go away in the post-steroid era, guys get worse as they get older. I mean, that's how it used to happen before steroids. That's how it's going to happen after the steroid era. During it, the guys are getting better at 35, 36, 38, whatever. So there's going to be a decline. So the back end of that deal, is ne it's never going to live up to what they hold. It just none of them will. None of these 10 years, unless you do it maybe like the Padres where you get Tatis, you know, who's five years younger than Lindor, but was also signed to a 14-year deal. So in general, Anything over seven and even the seven-year deals, they don't work out. I mean, do I think any ball player is worth $34 million a year? Probably not, but that's where we're going. And I don't think it's going to be every player. Like, I don't think Michael Conforto's getting that. Now, he may get $200 million, He may get $220 million. He's not getting 10 years from the Mets and probably not getting 10 years from anywhere else either. You know, Cano had that deal years ago. Albert Poole, these, they don't work out. So I know it's a lot, and you look at the numbers and you say they're pedestrian, but think about it this way with Lindor. He's a great leader. They love his intangibles. They love his makeup. They love his character. He's got power. He's a shortstop, so he plays a prime position, great defensive player. He's a well-rounded, all-around good ball player with a great character and great attitude, has postseason experience, has had great success. So I think all those things add up to this was the right guy that they were going to invest that type of contract in. I don't think that's going to become the norm, though. Even around baseball, there's so far, there's so few of these type players that those 34 million a year, maybe that you get the average up there, but way less than a 10 year deal. You know, as I'm listening to you describe all these intangibles about Lindor, and you mentioned, you know, myself sitting here as a Cubs fan, we're staring down the barrel of the same issue that the Mets were when we've got Javi Baez. He and Lindor are, are very connected. When I look at what the Mets just went through with Lindor, and now I apply it to the Cubs, I mentioned Lindor's stats. So again, career 285 hitter, averages 29 homers, 86 RBIs per season. Flip the script, look at Javi, career 264 hitter, 26 homers, 85 RBIs a year. Sal, you really see Tom Ricketts shelling out $330, $340 million to keep Baez? No, I don't. Nor do I think that I, I would do that for Baez. Again, I probably wouldn't even have done it for Lindor, but I don't think he's going to get that type of deal, although he's going to get a big deal. My issue with the Cubs, DCA, is they had the core, right? They should have won more than just the 2016 World Series. I know you guys are all happy just because it was – 
something you may probably never thought you'd see, right? So they get the one and then that's it. But that core should have, you know, Schwarber, Rizzo, Brian, Baez. Now they should have won more than what they did. And there are, there's uncertainty about them moving forward, not just about Baez. I mean, you're talking about trading Brian, which was talked about heavily this year. Rizzo, who knows what his deal is going to be. So that would be my concern. You know, I just, if you compare it to the Mets, they're talking about largely about keeping their core intact. Maybe on one or two players is going to be a decision. Okay, well, we can't have everybody. So we have to make a decision on this guy versus this guy. But for the most part, their core is going to be intact. And the Cubs, it just seems like it's fallen off here. And that's the problem. So they're going to figure out, is Baez the centerpiece? Is that going to be the guy that they're going to invest in? How much? I don't think he's going to command $34 million a year, but it's not going to be cheap to make him the centerpiece. And they got to decide what they're going to do. Are they going to prioritize winning? Is this going to be an all-in type thing to try to keep Brian and Rizzo and that core together? Or are they going to make some decisions and try to go out in a different direction? I'm just as clueless about the whole thing as you are because, you know, I'm a little more plugged in. Obviously, they're my team and I'm here in the Midwest. Here's what I can tell you from the Cubs perspective. Sure. They spent a lot of money on the Wrigley Field renovations, almost a billion dollars out of pocket. They started their own network. And unfortunately, that launched in 2020, got about 15% of the revenues that they were expecting. All of that costs money. The Ricketts took on a lot of debt, which has become the new sexy thing to do in business. But when it comes time to figure out, okay, how much money do we have to spend to put players on the field? And you've put yourself in this position where Rizzo, Bryant, these guys are done this year. This is the free agent year. Javi, uh, Wilson Contreras, you've got two more years. Ian Happ, you've got three more years. You look at the offseason the Cubs had from 2020 to 2021, Kyle Schwarber, they non-tendered him. Just said, hey, well, we don't want to pay you $7 million. See you later. And they replace him with Jock Peterson. Right. Literally, same contract. Their numbers are interchangeable. John Lester said goodbye. Jose Quintana said goodbye, which I'm not really sad about. Jason Hayward is coming to the end of his overpriced deal. And look, I love Jason Hayward as a man. He's a great on-field leader. There's no way that dude should be making $28 million a year. Another deal, big time deal that didn't work out. I mean, too many of those deals. Yeah, that was a that was a mess of a deal. Well, you won anyway, but still. But you're exactly right. And again, baseball is a business first, and based on the the numbers and based on the finances uh, of how baseball works, these GMs and these owners they have to sit down. And they have to figure out, okay, if we have if we have five guys and we can afford to keep two of them, how do we decide which three we let walk away? I would think for the Cubs, it's got to be Rizzo and Baez have to be the two you're going to keep. Now, years ago, you'd be like, oh, come on. They have to keep all, you know, they have to keep all these guys intact. How could they ever let uh, Chris Bryant go or Schwarber? As you mentioned, they just not. And Schwarber was a disappointment. He's really a DH, which is unfortunate now because in all likelihood next year, there's going to be the universal DH. But for now, Rizzo's got to be the guy. And just from the outside, for me, he's the guy who's most. I, I view him as the Cubs more than anybody else. And Baez, maybe the player with the most upside and potential and uh, plays a prime position. So without those two, then it just shows me, and it's a show you, unfortunately, as a fan, they don't prioritize winning. They're more concerned about the business because they got hit due to the pandemic. They were already behind it to begin with, and then the pandemic put it over the top. So it's going to be a while before they start getting back into prioritizing winning, which is every fan's worst nightmare. It'll be interesting, interesting year for both of our teams, and it'll be fun to, uh, to watch and, yeah. and see where each of our teams end up. When this thing is over, I am definitely meeting you at Wrigley for a game. It is my favorite place on earth to watch a baseball game. 
I cannot get enough of Wrigley. I've been, I think, three separate times. And it's just, I love it. Aside from the troughs, the troughs I could do without. I'm not a big, uh, you know, I'd rather have a stall or a wall up. But, uh, you know, it's part of it. I guess part of the Wrigley lore. But I, it's my favorite place to watch a ball game. Have you been since all the renovations? I have been, what was the last time I went? Um, when did they start the renovations? I think I've been since, I went once before, luckily. Um, when I turned 30, my buddy and I went out there to celebrate my 30th birthday. That was my first time there. That was in 2009. And then I went, have you, have you been since the video boards have been installed? Uh, I think I have seen some of the new, I, I think the last time I was there was like, let's say 16 or 17. It's probably 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've basically been there since the renovations have been okay. done. Yeah. The major ones. Right. Anyway. Yeah. I still like the old, I like the old way better, but whatever. The renovations are nice. No, I'm, I'm all about it. It's a five hour drive or an hour flight away from me. So you give me the dates. <laughs> I'm fully vaccinated, baby. I'm oh, ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I probably have to wait this year because my wife is due and all that. Yeah. But, and the, the vaccine, who knows with this, but I would, I love, I could go to Wrigley and the, the surrounding areas. See, that's one of those ballparks because I grew up as a national league East fan as the Mets. People forget back then the Mets and Cubs were in the same division. So I remember watching mm -hmm. Rick Sutcliffe and Andre Dawson and I, Ryan Sandberg. I grew up watching those guys play the Mets regularly in Wrigley Field. So that was always one of my favorite places. Obviously, it's historic, but that was one of the stadiums mm -hmm. that I watched a lot. I want to talk to you about pro wrestling. I got to know you through the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. Yeah. You're someone like me who grew up a fan of pro wrestling. You are also like me in that you are very adamant that you really don't follow the current WWE product. Tell me about what initially hooked you as being a fan of the business, why you got into it, why you loved it, and really when you started to stray away from the current product. It's a great question. I'm pretty sure. I want to say my Uncle Jim was watching WrestleMania three or was going to order WrestleMania three. And that probably was my initiation into wrestling. The problem that I have with my memories of it is because I've gone back when I was a kid and watched the Coliseum videos probably a hundred times. So I feel like I saw them more than I probably did in real time, but I'm pretty sure I started being a wrestling fan, maybe right up till WrestleMania three mid 86 through. So my prime as a wrestling fan was about mid 86 through mid 1992 and then i was out and then i occasionally would come back in like 2000 i got into it a little bit with the rock and then maybe 2006 a little bit and then over the years i'd watch the manias just because it was an event that i would find entertaining but i really haven't been a diehard fan in many years so i think my first memory i want to say was watching wrestlemania 3 around there and i had the, you know the ljns as a kid i don't know how it took off but i became obsessed with it to a point where I have, believe it or not, I have more vivid memories of what happened in wrestling in 87, 88, 89, 90 than I do of what happened in baseball in those years. I know the World Series teams, but I don't remember the specific Mets 88 season necessarily. But 88 wrestling, I remember, you know, I could remember a lot that went on with WrestleMania. And to me, WrestleMania 4 seems like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But you asked me what happened during the 88 Mets season in season. I know the postseason. It's, it's a little different. So that was how I think I started. And I loved it for those years. I loved it more than anything else. When you got hooked on the business, who was your guy? Were you a Hogan fan, Macho Man? Hogan, yeah, 100% Hulk Hogan, no doubt. Matter of fact, I remember being 
it had to be Rumble. Let's see. So Hacksaw won the first Rumble. Stud won 89, right? And then Hogan won 90, 91. So it was either 90 or 91. Probably 91 because it was the second time that Hogan won. I was at my friend's house. He was, we ordered, he ordered the pay-per-view. We're having pizza party. And I could not eat until Hogan won. And I just remember Hogan winning. I was so happy. I finally, and almost everybody else around me was pissed off that Hogan won again, but I was always a Hulkamaniac. He was always my guy. Still to this day, it was my, he's my favorite. I love him more than anybody else. And I know that's, so people love to hate him. I was a Hogan guy, then rock, then Cena. So you'd see where I go with my uh, allegiance as far as wrestlers go. You hit a nerve with me. You're a John Cena guy. Love John Cena, yeah. Same, 100%. Love John Cena. I told anybody that would listen in 2015 and 16 as Cena was, you could tell, was starting to, to wind it down in terms of being a full-time guy and everybody's you know talking crap about John Cena. I would tell anybody that would listen, Sal, you're going to miss this guy when he's gone and you don't appreciate him for what he does. If you go on social media now and the subject of John Cena comes up more often than not, most fans will say, you know what? I, I kind of miss that guy. That, that guy, he brought a lot to the show. He was a tremendous character, tremendous worker. You will never hear me say a single bad thing about John Cena. You know, one thing I probably, like I said, I've, I've been in and out over the years, right? And I was maybe in a little bit more of when Cena was there, once he started to go away, then I had less interest. And I wasn't, I didn't know, like I wasn't watching him. When did he come up? 2005 or something, or maybe before that, because I remember him. My first memories are really kind of that ECW one night stand or like right around then. So I would think that was 05 or 06 when they said, if Cena wins, we riot at, uh, at the ECW hall there. Um, I want to say that was 2006, the second one night stand. Anyway, that I was kind of new to, I was getting back into it at that time. One of my roommates was a huge fan. So I kind of got back into it and I became a big fan of his and I've been a fan of his ever since. Personally, I love him. Um, he seems like a great guy and easy to root for guy. And I, I, yeah, I do. I missed watching him. I haven't watched the regular product really since they let Myers and, uh, and, uh, Matt go Cardona go. So in addition to being an old school fan, you have quite the impressive memorabilia collection. What I love about the photos I've seen from your collection is that you're multidimensional. You don't just collect, say, action figures. You do have a great LGN collection, as you mentioned, but you've also got a great WWF magazine collection, WWF poster collection, among other things. How does Sal Licata determine what type of merchandise is going to make it into your collection? What are you still on the hunt for? Well, it's ever-evolving, right? So just a quick background. I had a lot of LJNs as a kid. Not all of them, but that was my main, my go-to. And then I had a lot of Hasbros. I probably stopped. I, I gave you the time frame where I stopped becoming a wrestling fan. So you could add that up with Hasbros. I maybe made it to series four or five, whatever. Then, years ago, when Conrad Thompson's podcast, Something to Wrestle With, became a hit, I started listening to that. Somebody got me onto it. Then I started getting all the feels. So listening to that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember having some of those figures. So I would maybe go back and look for them on eBay. And then I started to piece that together. At the same time, I went back and started to get the magazine collection because I was like, oh, yeah, I had those. So I went back and had anything that I had, maybe like a year before I started to clean from like 86 through the end of 92. Again, my window. I went back and collected that stuff. Then... During a Conrad Thompson podcast, I heard him promote this new major wrestling figure podcast. 
And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Ryder, a Long Island guy. I wonder if he knows sports, blah, blah, blah. I'll check this out. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know all of a sudden. When I'm going nuts because Ryder won at Mania, and that was one of the Manias I, was, I remember watching, and I popped for him. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, uh, it was a good moment. Guy, you know, uh, Long Island guy winning. Kind of surprised people. That was great. But then it turns out that Myers, and I should have known this, uh, you know, who I did like as, a, as Kurt Hawkins. That was always my favorite version of him. Myers is a huge Mets fan. Blue and orange, I should have known. And then somehow I, I tweeted about the podcast and then he started following me because he watched me on SNY and then we became friends and it's been you know fun obviously since. But so after listening to Conrad, then I listened to the major wrestling figure podcast and those guys taught me how to collect and how to display. Prior to that, I was just like, oh yeah, it's cool. I'll go back and get some of these. But I wasn't worried about the condition of them. I just knew that I had it and I'd go back and get it or the magazine, same thing. Then they put me on to Detolfs or, hey, you got to have clean figures. You can't be displaying beaters or whatever. So that completely changed my mind. Also that hey, you could collect more than just wrestling figures. You could do this and then all these new different figures and old toys. And I was like, oh, my God, it opened up a whole new world that I have an addictive personality. I love the old stuff. I'm nostalgia. I collect. So it just spawned this whole thing over the course of the last three years to a point where it's insanity. But my main thing would be that it is stuff that makes me feel nostalgic. Either stuff that I had as a kid, like the Hasbros, stuff that I had as a kid, like the LJNs or the magazines, or newer figs that represent older times. Like I've been into the Mattel Legends now, or any of the, yeah, the Summer uh, SummerSlam or uh, WrestleMania, even basic figs. I don't mind that if it's a guy from that era. And I'll tell you, and you know this too, DCA, going back watching the old stuff because i've been doing that on the network since before they screwed it up and moved to peacock i was watching in order from 85 on and that made me nostalgic so anything that i've seen on prime time i was like oh you know wrestlemania 4 coliseum video where you see hogan where it opens up the tube so then i wanted that and then i remember watching the coliseum video so i went back and got all the ones from again 85 to 92 so th there is no rules but basically it has to be in my window of nostalgia that makes sense i know i'm long-winded there but it also jogged my memory you are the one that coined the now infamous phrase yeah uh the most the, yeah you're right i did come up with that a long time ago i don't know if i tweeted that or texted him that or you know i must have tweeted it saying yeah this is the most expensive free yeah because at the time i'm thinking oh this is a cool podcast but meanwhile i hear them talking and all i'm doing is spending left and right i need this i need that by the way thank goodness we i mean for the early listeners Dude, the prices now, like, I'll give you an example. Listening to Ryder in one of the early episodes talk about his on-card Hasbro Series 1. Remember he had it cased? So he had it, like, cased in a frame, mint on-card Hasbro Series 1. That got me thinking, oh, man, it's a great idea. I want to get, get on-card Hasbro Series 1. So that was, like, the first thing that I was trying to do. And it was hard to do then. Now, that's an impossibility. You, you, dude, you can't even do it. I mean, it's you're lucky if you find them. And, and if you do, they're obscenely priced. So luckily, if you were a day one major wrestling figure pod fan, you were kind of ahead of the curve a little bit because now it's just gotten out of control. And I blame them. Those two made it get out of control. Helped at least. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. I was putting together a bone cruncher collection and I could get I could get 10 mint on card bone crunchers for $25, $30 shipped for 10 figures. And now they're averaging 10 to $15 a piece. So I, I got in and got out at the right <laughs> it's, time. It's unbelievable. 
<laughs> and you're always getting dude you're a loose cannon so you i remember you and this is early on in the podcast right when you ripped open those uh smoking guns hasbros the green cards that's how you became famous that was very early on though if i'm not oh, mistaken yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean first four or five episodes yeah right tremendous and they've been stuck with me ever since unbelievable and you probably sold them right you and you stole the, you sold those two and probably since bought them oh. back yeah <laughs> year and a half ago no i i didn't buy back the hasbros nope i i got rid of those and, and never bought them back so when i did your introduction i mentioned the many jobs that you currently have but you are getting ready salakata to add the most important job title to your resume here in the very near future and maybe even by the time this episode drops you're going to be adding the title of dad your wife is due to give birth any day now how is mama feeling here as we're coming down the home stretch as you're getting ready for your new addition um, dude, first of all, I have no idea. The, the way I've been explaining to people is like, I can't process anything beyond what was the original due date, which was April 19th. And now, you know, she's feeling okay, but she's ready to go. She's, she's struggling occasional pains now and getting nervous and thinking that it can happen, which it can happen at any moment. So there are many different factors into it. But in my mind, it's very difficult to process what life is going to be like after the fact i just don't know so like we joke around and talk about going to a game or whatever like i i don't know what to expect i've never been down this road before and everybody says oh my god get the sleep in now you know make sure you do this and do that oh but it's the greatest thing ever and i'm like no no it's either the greatest thing ever or what you're saying because what you're saying it is not the greatest thing ever so it's a hard and really you don't know until I actually go through it myself. I'm not going to know. You've been through it a couple of times. So, you know, I don't know what to expect. We're excited about it. I know that. Um, but it's just weird timing. I'm starting to get more work at the radio station. Uh, it's baseball season here. Uh, I'm in the midst of still my collecting. I don't know if that's going to have to stop. Uh, that's going to be one of the sacrifices. Once the baby comes, I guess everything is going to change. But we're definitely looking forward to it. No, that's tremendous. And Here's the piece of advice that I will give you. Yes, it is all of the things that you talked about. I know for a fact that the moment that my wife gave birth to our first child, my life changed. My wife's life changed. I myself changed. I, I can't explain it. It just when, when you become a parent and you specifically right. when you become a dad, when that baby is brought into the world something changes. It's the best thing ever. I'm so excited for you guys. I can't wait to uh, to see all the pictures and everything. Do you know the gender? Yeah, girl. You're having a girl. Do you have yeah. a name picked out? We do have a name, Samira. Oh, okay. I, I mean, breaking news on the DCA podcast. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you know, Davida is a pretty nice name for, for a girl, but you know, I guess the name that you've chosen is is, you know, it's acceptable. Yeah, if it, were, if it were a boy, we'd be screwed. But this was one that my wife, for whatever reason, we had uh, a while ago. But yeah, I mean, look, yeah. Oh, the you're not going to have any sleep. You're not going to be able to do anything for yourself anymore. Forget about collecting. Forget about going out with your friends. Forget about your own time. They're going to be peeing and pooping all over the place. But it's the greatest thing ever. Oh, you're going to love it. Mm -hmm. It's so great. Well, that doesn't sound like the greatest thing ever to me. I want to watch a ball game. I want to care. See, I still, DCA, I still care about me. And that's what I'm worried about is this sacrifice – because no matter what my mentality is now, you're right. It's going to change. Once the baby comes, it's not about me anymore. I'm not ready to give that up, but I'm going to have to. <laughs> you're right. It isn't about you anymore because now you have a wife and you have a child that you have to care for and provide for. But 
at the same time, it doesn't mean that nothing about you matters anymore. Here's what you have to do. You have to find the balance. Yes, it, you are you are no longer with with zero responsibilities, but at the same time, you just you have to find that balance. And yeah, in the beginning, it's going to be chaotic because this new human being that you're bringing home from the hospital, they're not on the train sleep schedule like the rest of you are. You're going to go many days and weeks without regular sleep, but you'll adapt and you'll be fine. I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited for you guys. I can't wait. And uh, it, it's, it's just being a dad is it's the best thing. So you're going to be great. Appreciate that. I have taken way too much of your time. I appreciate you. This was fun. This was all good. I hope people don't sleep on this. This was a good one. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you making time. You've, like I said, you've got a million jobs and a million things going on. But before we get out of here, just real quick, plug your social media and how can folks see and hear you on the television, on radio and on the internet? So at Sal underscore Licata, L-I-C-A-T-A, that's the Twitter. That's the best way to communicate with me. I'm always on there checking that out, responding to people and interacting with people, which I actually like for the most part. It could be nasty, but I like that. TV, it's on SNY generally. Well, now it's going to be after Met post game show. So I was going to say generally it's 11 p.m., but... That's all. It depends on the Mets games now that we're in season and radio. The best way, if you're not in New York, you can listen in New York on WFAN.com or on WFAN radio. You could go to the website on odyssey.com now, WFAN.com or the odyssey.com app and listen basically anywhere, anytime. So it doesn't matter if I'm on 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. You could listen the next day on your own time. So that's probably the best way to, to listen or see me, I guess, DCA. Salakana, you're one of a kind. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And I can't wait till I get to see you in person again. Looking forward to it, man. Thanks, DCA. Good luck with the podcast. Of the handful of people that I have spoken with so far on Chatham Up, I don't know that any one of my previous guests can match the same level of enthusiasm when it comes to talking about the things that they love most. And again, my conversation with Sal Licata certainly did not disappoint. Thank you, Sal. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you making time for all of us. That's going to do it for us here this week on Chatham Up with DCA. Once again, please make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are found. The five-star ratings and reviews really go a long way to help us out. We got several more of those in over the past week, so thank you to all of you who took time to leave us a five-star rating and a review. I read all of them. I appreciate all of them. So if you haven't done so yet, please go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a rating and review. Make sure you're following the podcast on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chatham Up Podcast via social media. And that's going to be it for this week. Again, please wear a mask, wash your hands, be kind to one another, and Jesus loves you. We'll chat again next week. This podcast has been paid for by the Major World Order. This is Billy Walter Peck. And with me, Hosvar, a.k.a. Heartbreak Hosvar, a.k.a. Handsome Hosvar, a.k.a. What are you doing? My intro, duh. Yeah, but this is a commercial. Oh. <laughs> and I am the big Jake Boski, Jake Wyatt, and this is the Major World Order.
we are a podcast focusing on the incredible community that the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast has built. We have interviewed all three of the hosts, Smart Mark Sterling, Matt Cardona, and Brian Myers, as well as a slew of Major Marks. But don't forget about Rory Fox. Even Rory Fox. So tune in to anchor.fm slash Major World Order to find the show and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Major World Order. Because when you listen to the MWO, you're MWO for life. Are you a fan of MTV's The Challenge? Then you need to be listening to Challenge Mania, the number one challenge podcast with over 240 episodes and over 7 million total downloads. Hosted by one of your fellow major marks, Scott Yeager, and three-time challenge champ, Derek Kaczynski, Challenge Mania is a must for any challenge fan, but the guys also managed to fit at least one wrestling reference into every podcast. Plus, past episodes have featured guests like The Miz, Leo Rush, Shawn Michaels, and Dustin Rhodes. Challenge Mania is available every Everywhere you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, my name is Brian Chairs, the host of Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, the podcast. We are a new weekly pro wrestling podcast where I sit down with a guest and we talk all about the week that was in professional wrestling. If you ever wanted to listen to a podcast that sounds like you and your buddies talking wrestling, then Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, the podcast is for you. New episodes release every Friday wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to check us out on social media at TL Chairs Pod. Again, new episodes release every Friday. Are you a nerd, geek, or comic book aficionado? Then do we have the podcast for you. I'm John. And I'm Charlie, and we're the co-founders of U.S. Comics. But we also babble on about other four-color funny books each and every Wednesday over at U.S. Comics Cast. Find us on all social media at U.S. Comics HQ. So, John, Superman wearing a black suit, how cool is that? Trash. It's trash. Doesn't make sense. Next. Next.